Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's debate on how clean Europe's food supply chains are, where we'll be looking in particular at the case of Spanish pork. My name is Dave Keating. I'm a journalist based in Brussels, and I'm going to be guiding us through today's conversation, coming at you live from the Euractiv studios in the heart of the EU quarter. Today we'll be hearing a presentation on the findings from Open Society European Policy Institute's new report, How Clean Are Europe's Food Supply Chains? The myths fueling the massive growth of Spain's pork industry. Now the report seeks to uncover environmental and human rights impacts of industrialized meat production in the EU. Open Society European Policy Institute has been working on a series of publications about how farm workers are treated in both southern and northern Europe and explored the feasibility of an EU ethical food label. As part of the European Commission's Farm to Fork strategy put forward last year, the EU has set a goal of aligning food production and consumption with measures to tackle the climate and biodiversity crises and aims to tackle human rights and environmental violations in supply chains and value chains. So this new report focuses in on a specific case study, that of Spanish pork, to illustrate wider problems in the current agro-industrial system, even when food is produced and marketed entirely within the EU. Now, this is a debate, and we're eager to hear from you at home. You guys will be able to ask your questions to the report authors and to the panelists uh, by typing them in there in that screen in Slido. I'll be seeing those questions come in as we go through this, and I'll be posing your questions to the panelists. You can go ahead and start putting questions in there now. It's great to see as the conversation is unfolding here what kind of appetite you guys have for questions and what you're really keen to talk about. So to start us off today, we're first going to have the presentation of the report, uh, and then we're going to hear from our panelists for some reactions, and we'll discuss some of the wider issues going on here. So I would first like to introduce Julia Lagana, Senior Analyst with the Open Society European Policy Institute. Julia? Thank you, Dave. Thank you for that great introduction, and, uh, and thanks to everyone for, for logging in. I apologize in advance because I'm completely hoarse, so if my voice just kind of pops at some point, please forgive me. Um, so as Dave was saying, we, we've commissioned this report for, for a number of reasons. Um, the primary one is that there's growing awareness among consumers and citizens of the, of the environmental and climate and also human rights impact of food production and agriculture in general. Um, but generally, when we think about these things, we think about imports to the EU. So there's a big focus on, quite rightly, deforestation, um, around products like soy, um, or in, in terms of human rights, we normally think of child labor in West Africa, for instance, in the cocoa supply chain. There's less of a focus on what's going on within Europe's supply chain. So for food, as, as Dave said, which is produced entirely within um, the EU. So we commissioned this report um, with that in mind and bearing in mind a very broad definition of sustainability. Uh, which includes, of course, the environmental and climate impacts, but also um, the social side of sustainability. So the human rights, uh, the labor rights of workers, but also the social fabric of farming communities, which is vital, um, and the health of consumers. Uh, so we see all those, all those facets of sustainability as being um, intertwined. 
What we did not want to do with this report, and I think David has, Dave has already um, mentioned that, is pinpoint um, a particular sector. This is a case study which illustrates broader trends. Um, even though it is a fact that meat production contributes significantly, for instance, to Europe's um, greenhouse gas emissions. There was a report out yesterday by the IATP which um, said that 17% of, of the EU's uh, GHGs are produced um, by the meat sector. So that's, that's a huge proportion. Um, we didn't also want to sort of pinpoint the Spanish pork sector in particular. These are broader problems within meat production across industrialized meat production, I would add, across Europe. Um, both for as, as regards labor rights, and we've seen that, for instance, during the pandemic with uh, COVID outbreaks at meatpacking uh, plants across Europe, um, but also in terms of the environmental and climate impact of, of industrial meat production. So our aim with the report, as I said, is really to shed light on what's happening within some of our internal food supply chains. Um, and how they, they need cleaning up from a, both an environmental but also a human rights point of view. And then hopefully, both through the report and through this event, um, we'll be looking at some of the solutions which the EU can roll out. Um, a couple of those are mentioned in the report, and we'd like to flesh those out with you today. Um, one is on the, on the CAP side, so on the Common Agricultural Policy side, the new mechanism uh, which has been labelled social conditionality, um, which implies that producers, and here we're talking about agricultural producers, but of course um, pigs and animals in general are, are fed generally with, with fodder, um, that, that envisages cutting subsidies to producers who violate um, basic labour rights. Um, and the other instrument, which Dave also mentioned at the beginning, and which we're really looking forward to, and hopefully the Commission will roll out at some point in 2022, is um, the draft proposal on legislation on mandatory due diligence for uh, businesses. So that would entail European-based businesses cleaning up their supply chains from an environmental and human rights point of view. What we think shouldn't be done um, is, is something which is being discussed in the Council and was discussed this week at the Agriculture Council, for instance, which is more handouts to, to a sector which does not need propping up, it needs overhauling. Um, in a very uh, broad and, and fundamental way. Um, and also on the Labour side, as we'll see from, from Tin's presentation, uh, there have been attempts by governments to rein in the worst practices in terms of labour rights violations, but there has to be a fundamental change in the way labour is sourced and the way workers' rights are respected um, across the meat industry in Europe and the food industry in general. Um, so with that, without further ado, I'd like to pass the floor to the author of the report to give you a real sense of what their findings were. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks a lot, Julia. And you guys will be actually be able to look at the report already. If you go into the uh, Slido page, it's there. The link is there to the report. So you can check that out uh, with that link. So next, let's go to the author of the report, Teen Lewin, a freelance journalist and the author of the report. Teen? Thanks very much, Dave, for the introduction and also to Julia for setting the scene on the background and the scope of the report. Now, I'm the author of the report, as Dave and Julia said, but it was actually a group effort and it involved some very, very good Spanish journalists who were determined to uncover and document what's going on in the Spanish pox sector, particularly in terms of the terrible labor exploitation in slaughterhouses and, and the environmental degradation. Now, this report is based on work carried out by the investigative news outlet Lighthouse Reports. And we spoke to more than 60 people in the industry. And they range from slaughterhouse workers and pig farmers to vets, doctors, 
academics and officials. But first, before we dive into the detailed findings, I just want to emphasize that this report is not an attack on Hermon, Chorizo, Mosilla, or any of the much loved Spanish pop products. And it is an attack on the long and deep culinary and cultural history of pork in Spain either. What this report is 100% is about how parts of the Spanish pork sector, specifically the industrial part, the industrialized part, is built on practices that exploit workers, pollute the environment, mistreat animals, and put short-term private profits above long-term social, economical, and environmental health. Now, within the European Union, Spain is now the largest pig producer, and the country is on track for an eighth consecutive annual rise in pig production. The pig population has also continued to increase over the past few years. Last year alone, 56 million pigs were slaughtered in a country with a population of 47 plus million people. There are at least 86,000 pig farms. Now, what this report is doing is putting these numbers into context and dispelling four major myths around Spain's industrialized pork sector. Let me go through them one by one. Now, the first myth is that the pork industry in Spain provides decent, well-paid jobs. The re reality is that employees, particularly those in slaughterhouses and cutting plants, and a vast majority of these employees are African migrants, uh, they're treated as entirely disposable. We've all heard about and read about stories about farm workers being exploited across the Mediterranean, but the plight of these workers in these factories have been less documented. What we have found is that these workers face long hours, low pay, very few rights, high rates of accidents, lots of injuries, both visible and invisible, cramped working conditions, verbal and physical abuse, and harassment. They cannot form unions. And when they try to speak out after being abused, they face backlash. They're either demoted or fired. Some faced death threats. Now, many of these workers are also self-employed uh, members of cooperatives, even though they receive monthly wages from the companies and many workers have been working for the same company for many years. But what this scheme does is allow companies to sidestep labor laws and regulations. And I'm sure many of the attendees here are familiar with the concept of false cooperatives in Spain. Many, you know, we know have also been shut down following years of campaigning by labor unions and regional governments like the one in Catalonia have also enacted legislation, uh, changes to the legislation to rein in this practice. Now, the problem is that many of these cooperatives have transformed themselves into multi-service companies. And what these multi-service companies do is they work as subcontractors to meet companies and that allow the same exploitative practices to continue just under a different name. And experts have told us that it is almost impossible to measure the scale of the problem because the industry is privatized and subcontracts are considered commercial contracts. So they don't make public. The second myth is that the industry is based on small artisanal farms, that it creates 
large numbers of quality jobs in rural areas and that it reverses population decline. Now, the reality is that large firms dominate the market and their industrial farms are so heavily mechanized that they employ far fewer workers than small farms might be in many instances. And also many rural areas with intense pig farms actually have lost more population and have higher unemployment than those that do not have this type of farm. Now, at the United Nations Food System Summit in September, Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez gave a speech on the importance of family farming and the need to support it. But the trajectory of the country's pork sector at the moment means that family farms are not benefiting. In fact, the number of small farms have decreased quite dramatically. I mean, Antonio and his team at Dadadista, who is well, one of the panel members after my presentation, you know, they've also looked into this and found similar data as well. The third myth is that Spain's pork industry is a model of sustainable production. But the reality is that industry practices are heavily polluting and that animals live in substandard conditions. Now, slurry is the biggest environmental problem when it comes to industrial pig farms because of the sheer numbers and concentration of animals. And these types of farms, they typically produce about 2,000 litres of slurry per animal per year. That's 2,000 litres per animal every single year. And they have a nitrogen concentration 40 times higher than that of wastewater. So what happens when there are far too many pigs producing far too much waste? Well, there's nitrate pollution of groundwater, ammonia pollution of surface water, and methane emissions into the air. Now, one of the results is that many Spanish towns and rural communities are facing either chronic water shortages or having to drink polluted water. And what happened in Mar Menor is an example. When vast amounts of fish turned up dead this summer, a lot of the blame was on the heat wave and nearby farmland. But we found government reports that were released in 2019 that warned of the high concentration of pigs in the area. One report identified that there were about 500 slurry ponds in the lake basin. Yet, there seemed to have been little attempts to control the growth of pig population in the area. We also saw through our own investigation that there were lots of uncovered slurry ponds. Now, the regional government has told us that there is natural water proofing, proofing of these uncovered slurry ponds, but the reports from the national government and our own investigations raised questions around the role that industrial pig farms played in what happened at Mar Menor. We also visited 10 randomly selected pig farms in the region of Castilla e Leone. We were able to enter six, and in five of them, we found animals that were ill, had tumors, and with open wounds. Now, the lack of animal welfare was shocking. Definitely not a model of sustainable production. Now, the last myth is that Spain's pork industry is a financial success story. But the reality is that the industry, as it is right now, would not exist without public funding and political support. Now, advocacy groups have pointed out that 55% of the price of a kilogram of pork in Spain 
is financed by national public funds. But Spain has also received funds from the EU Common Agriculture Policy, which, according to some research, amounted to 160 million a year since Spain became eligible for CAP funding. In 2019, each pig and poultry farm received nearly 7,400 euros. Now, local communities are already seeing the downsides of industrial pig farming on people, animals and the planet. And resistance is rising all across Spain. And you'll see in the report a map that shows where local communities are rising up and organizing. And there is, of course, also a big question mark on whether the demand from the Chinese market, which has been a major contributing factor to the ex extraordinary growth that Spain's pork sector, whether this demand will hold is also another question. But the industry in the form that it is currently in is not sustainable socially, economically or environmentally. And the idea that it is, is just a myth. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tien. Uh, so a lot to digest there. Let me introduce our panelists now who are going to first give us a reaction to what they've just heard uh, in the presentation of that report. So I'll introduce our three remaining panelists. They are Hees Hiltus, Head of Units at the European Commission uh, for DG Agriculture and Rural Developments. We have Antonio Delgado, co-founder of Data Dista, which is a Spanish media specializing in investigative and data journalism. And we have Silvia Borelli, associate professor for European labor law at the University of Ferrara. Welcome to all of you. Heath, let's go to you first. Um, now, I think a lot of Europeans would be surprised at some of the findings of the report that uh, this type of thing is going on in the EU, because I think a lot of people think of these issues as things that happen outside of Europe. So how do you respond to uh, the what the report has found, particularly taking a big picture look, not focusing too much in on this particular sector, but how EU regulation kind of uh, could get a better handle on this stuff? Yeah, thanks, uh, Dave, and, and good morning. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, to discuss this. Um, I, I think uh, the report uh, as such is shocking reading. Uh, it is uh, highlighting uh, issues both in terms of uh, labor conditions, animal welfare, environmental uh, situation that is uh, uh, not, not good at all. Um, and uh, I think you can you can uh, look at this from 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 different perspectives, and I think it is important to look at this from 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 different angles. Uh, the, the the first angle is that this is unfortunately not uh, the only place in Europe where things like this happen. Uh, we have seen, I think, for example, during the COVID uh, crisis as well, we have seen uh, problems in slaughterhouses that. That became very apparent. Uh, we uh, have seen actions also by the public authorities in Germany, for example. So uh, the, the labor conditions in the uh, food supply chain, and particularly the meat supply chain, are uh, not always uh, uh, good and uh, deserve our full attention. And I think it's very important that investigative journalists uh, focus on this. At, at the same time, I think we also have to realize that in Europe we have more than six million uh, farmers and uh, a lot of them of course uh, try to uh, do their best in 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 to produce uh, the best products 
uh, they can under the best possible conditions. Um, uh, and uh, I think they also deserve a credit. If you look, if you look at a global scale, I think Europe is not doing very badly at all. I think we we should be proud of our sector, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't. Uh, if I can borrow the terms used by the authors, if we shouldn't clean up uh, parts of our, our food supply chain, uh, farming has, has changed really quite dramatically, uh, uh, particularly animal animal farming, and and that has has uh, has led to high stocking densities, uh, the cage environments. We'll probably talk about that. Mutilations, confinement, long-term transports as well, and. Um, and, and citizens are increasingly also becoming aware of this. And uh, and that's also why the European Commission has launched this farm to fork strategy, which is part of our Green Deal, which tries to look at food systems uh, in its entirety and uh, aims to make them sustainable from all angles, uh, the environmental angle, the economic angle, the social angle, but also environment, uh, animal welfare is, is high on the agenda there. So. I think we 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 are rolling out a program to try precisely to address the issues that uh, are highlighted. Thanks. Thanks a lot, uh, Hiss. Uh, Antonio, I'm very interested to get your reaction to the report, particularly because you guys at Data Dista have already done your own uh, nine-month investigation on the pig sector in Spain and its relationship with common agricultural policy aid uh, and pollution. So do, do this report's findings comport with what you guys found in your own investigation? Thank you, Dave. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me to this session. This report uh, shows a reality that is the, the, the tip of the iceberg for a big problem. Like the report, uh, we investigate how the CAP and the international market have changed agriculture and livestock in Spain and how it goes against the objective of the CAP. Spain in, in today is an industrial pig factory. 77% of the farms are intensive livestock. Uh, in our research, uh, we show how millions of euros of public money from the CAP go to the big integrating company. They are a very profitable company and with tentacles in agriculture and energy. Um, competing uh, today in this sector is very difficult for an independent farmer. They have to show between the integration model or having to close. Uh, almost 18% of the industrial pig farm in Spain operate with a vertical integration model. A company called Integradora provides the animal feeds and the heel core for the farmer and, and then receive a, a, a pay for the uh, stipulate according to the contract. Thanks a lot, Antonio. Uh, so, Sylvia, let's go to you next. What is your reaction to what we've just heard outlined in the report? So, uh, thank you as well for uh, inviting me uh, to this uh, very interesting uh, presentation. So, uh, I share Guy's opinion. It's shocking reading this report. It's simply shocking. Uh, so, basically, we learn from reading that uh, uh, 
the, in Spain, the pork production is based on labor exploitation. And I think that uh, the European Union cannot accept uh, this kind of business model. Uh, labor uh, exploitation should be forbidden. Instead, uh, we learn from the report uh, that labor exploitation uh, is authorized, uh, sometimes uh, even legal. So we, we always think that labor exploitation uh, means uh, uh, worker rights violation. Instead, uh, we learn from the report uh, that, uh, for example, the way in which uh, migration law is built uh, is, is a key point on which uh, the labor exploitation is based. As Tina already mentioned, migrants uh, are scared. They fear to lose uh, their job. They, they, they are afraid of being uh, uh, isolated or sending uh, away from, uh, from Spain. And uh, uh, this is, uh, for example, uh, uh, a legal form of pay, uh, labor exploitation because uh, basically the, the, the link between migration law and labor law allow this kind of uh, exploitation. And this is, in my opinion, shocking. This is something that cannot be accepted. Thanks a lot, Julia. So, um, Tian, I wanted to go back to you. So, in the report, you outline both uh, economic vi rights violations and labor rights violations, sorry, environmental rights violations and labor rights violations. So, those two things are kind of going hand in hand. And in terms of um, what Hees was talking about in terms of the farm to fork strategy, that is a strategy that is trying to tackle both things when we're looking at the whole food supply chain. So when you were doing this report, did you find that the environmental problems and the labor problems were linked in any way, or were they really two separate things going on? Um, yeah, thanks for the question, Dave. Um, let me try and, I guess, take it from a, a bit of a macro view. I would say they are definitely linked, and they are both symptoms of an industry that is unhealthy right when your focus is on high input and low prices um, and the margins are so small um, every opportunity to externalize externalize the cost you know is, is seen as a necessity and the both the labor exploitation and the environmental impacts are a result of a system that is broken i mean over the past year we've heard a lot about talking about our food systems and how the way we produce process um, you know consume and dispose of food is unsustainable and i think this report and the exploitations that we have found in, in uh, on the many aspects of it is just one example of how broken the whole system is um antonio in your work when you were looking at this specific sector did you find that the environmental and economic issues were connected Yes, um, we, ha we have uh, also published an interactive uh, map with the localization, localization of all the macro pink farms in Spain with the pollution gas emission in, 19, uh, in, in the last year. Um, the problem is the, 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 the large integrated company of, of the big sector in Spain uh, receive uh, I provide for the cap 
and administration public in, in, in Spain. Um, it's very uh, difficult to, um, to um, compete in this sector. Um, intensive pig farming and also uh, Uh, it's good. We can uh, go to someone else. I mean, Keith, I wanted to check with you because, as I mentioned, in Farm to Fork, these two issues are very, very connected, or they're, they're supposed to be looking, looked at in a holistic way, right? So when you're looking at how labor abuses and, and environmental abuses might be connected, what's the commission's thinking on how connected they are and whether they should be tackled in the same way? Yeah, thanks. So they're clearly, they are clearly connected. I I agree with uh, Thin uh, absolutely. And um, uh, let, let's face it, tackling this is not is not easy. Yeah? So the commission has has published this farm to fork strategy that really approaches this issue from from uh, from all sides. Um, I think it's a very comprehensive uh, uh, document, but connected with actions in different areas. So, for example, uh, uh, we'll have an action in, in 2023 to uh, improve uh, uh, and, and, and uh, upgrade animal welfare legislation. It was a big conference last, uh, last week here in Brussels, uh, uh, highlighting the work uh, ongoing in that area. Uh, so that's one uh, 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 area of work. Another area of work is indeed uh, um, the due diligence uh, legislation. There is uh, a work on uh, on the environmental uh, side. From the agricultural side, I'm sure we'll come to that. Uh, we are trying to uh, improve uh, the way uh, the agricultural policy helps uh, change this. Because what we really want to achieve is a transition of the system. Uh, you, you would like a system that is able to uh, produce the uh, high quality uh, pig meat, uh, the, the, the jamon, as, as uh, the uh, uh, um, authors uh, uh, highlighted. Uh, there is a, is a, is a, is a tradition, a, a very rich tradition around uh, ham in Spain. Uh, and we would like that tradition to be there to be present, but to be present in a very sustainable way, meaning no environmental uh, harm, uh, 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 no uh, labor rights uh, infringed. And we would also like the farmers to um, uh, earn a decent living. Uh, and I think that element is key. Eh? You were trying to link labor and environment. But I think the real question is also the economy, because of course, a lot of the um, pressures that we're talking about are the result of the fact that it's very difficult to make money in this industry. Uh, we know that uh, in recent years, uh, mainly due to uh, animal disease issues in China, the European Union has been able to export a lot of pig meat to China. Uh, China is uh, in increasing its own production, uh, sourcing from other places in the world. Uh, prices uh, for pig meat are now uh, decreasing uh, in, uh, in in the European Union. So pressure is on, and uh, uh, clearly this is not a sustainable economic model. So what are we trying to do? We're trying to put some of the support into organizing farmers. We're trying to introduce an animal welfare labeling scheme so that farmers who treat animals well um, uh, can also uh, show this to the consumer, uh, to, 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 to try to get the consumer to uh, to pay a little bit more for that. We're also working on a, 
an integral sustainable uh, label for food uh, to 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 highlight the quality uh, of uh, of sustainable production uh, but it's it's not an easy thing there is not one piece of legislation that fixes this it's a process it's a process where the european union is trying to uh, play its part with the tools it has but we also need the, the national governments to play their part and clearly we need private sector to play their part this is not if you want to change an industry an industry by the way which is the largest economic industry in europe eh? the, the, the the food uh, the, uh, the agri-food uh, industry um if you want to change that you need all players to play to 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 to, to take steps and to 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 play game in a way so, Julia, we just had uh, there mention some of the things we can do to fix the situation. What, in your mind, is necessary to be able to improve some of these conditions we can read about in the report? Is the key, uh, for instance, if, if the workers had more robust contracts, would that be enough to solve some of these labor disputes? If the industry had better waste management practices, what are the concrete things that are needed to solve some of these issues? Sure, yeah, thanks, Kate. I mean, first of all, I'd like to say that, yes, I mean, the, the environmental and, and human impacts of, of industrial production are quite, um, quite evident. And we see that across the agricultural sector, right? I mean, if we think of glyphosate, the now infamous pesticide, which um, the EU might hopefully ban from 2023, um, the people spraying that pesticide, often you know, not using safety equipment and so on, are the ones who are the most exposed to the effects um, of it, um, as well as the local communities. And I think we also need to take a very holistic view of, of what we mean by, by the human and human rights impacts of pollution. Um, I mean, we'd be talking about water pollution. That means that, as Tin mentioned, many communities across Spain are drinking bottled water because they just cannot drink their local the water from their local aquifers because they've been polluted by, by the pig production. Um, I think there are lots of, of things that the EU can do. And I think, as, as Heath was mentioning, um, the farm to fork strategy does lay out a roadmap for, for achieving that a sort of sustainable, holistic model um, for overhauling the food production and consumption system, because this isn't just about production, it's also about consumption. And I think what the farm to fork does, um, and what people are hopefully now discussing as well, uh, increasingly, is the fact that we have to move towards different consumer habits as well, um, you know, towards a protein transition, which probably involves less meat than we currently eat, which is unsustainable for the planet, um, and focusing on quality meat, on, on, on high quality products, which Spain is also producing in very large numbers, the artisanal products that Tim mentioned. Um, we're going to shortly publish on our website um, an article which looks at an example of extensive pig farming, which is actually more labor intensive than the industrial model, so probably good for, for communities and workers as well. Um, and I think that's that's the, the key and to the to the way forward. Um, so the, the, the fact that the Farm to Fork um, sort of maps out that model, I think, is key. And it's also really important that the European Parliament has been very supportive of the strategy. Um, and I think the key point here is also uh, something that we've stressed in all our publications so far, that the onus should not be on consumers and citizens to change the system. I mean, the system has to be regulated by the EU and by national governments. 
um, who have to hold private actors to account. And industry, of course, has to play a role. But the owners cannot be only a consumer who has to be told, you know, you've got to eat, you know, your organic meat and so on and so forth, which is currently much more expensive. Um, so the key objective should be ensuring that those quality products are the most affordable products on the market and not the niche products for those who can afford it. Um, I think that's one of the key the key elements. And I think the commission is really moving in this direction and it needs backing. It needs backing from citizens. It needs backing from civil society, um, because, of course, the corporate pushback in some cases is very strong. So that's how we can stop the problems from happening. But what about when the problems have already happened? Sylvia, uh, when we have problems of pollution, when people are the victims of pollution or labor violations, how can they seek justice? Well, that's a very, very good question because uh, this is a huge problem for the moment. Uh, why? Uh, because... Uh, uh, migrants, uh, they, 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 they don't have money or uh, they, they, they don't want to go before a judge because uh, they just want to work. Uh, they just need a job in order to earn money that they need uh, to, to survive. Um, so uh, in order to facilitate access to, access to justice, uh, we should, uh, first of all, uh, strengthen labor respecter. Another important uh, information that we get from uh, the report uh, is that uh, the number of uh, labor inspectors decrease in Spain instead of increasing. Uh, and that's uh, a huge problem because uh, uh, the longer the supply chain is, uh, the more difficult uh, the control are. So we need more labor inspectors than uh, uh, before. And this is uh, the first point. And the second point, of course, we need uh, to strengthen uh, trade unions. Uh, trade unions are a key element in order to, to fight uh, labor exploitation. For example, in Spain, the trade union movement was uh, fundamental in order to fight uh, against bogus cooperative. So we should uh, absolutely sustain, strengthen trade union movement. Uh, so, Thien, I think you wanted to come in on this as well? Yeah, just very briefly, um, just following up on Sylvia's points, I think it's also really important to, you know, make the workers feel like they're empowered to sort of bring those, you know, abuses and issues that they face to the public because it was really, really difficult to try and get, you know, the, the, the earn the trust of the workers and try and talk to the slaughterhouse workers. It was really, um, you know, Many are very, very fearful about losing their jobs. They are they're the sole breadwinners in their family and they're either you know looking after their families here or sending money back. So they're really scared about jeopardizing their jobs. But if we really want to make changes and stop this kind of exploitation, we need to make sure that workers feel empowered to come and, and talk about it openly. Antonio, you wanted to respond to this as well? Yes, uh, thank you, Dave. Um, I have to say the, the the agriculture and livestock as whole represent 12% of the greenhouse effect emission in Spain. The big sector represents 14% of the all total methane in relation to the atmosphere in Spain, with more than 200,000 tons 
in 19 and in, in last year. I think it's necessary to rethink entire production model. It's not just the, the meat. For example, so you are vegan, you should think about whenever the broccoli comes from the land that pollutes the ecosystem. He's from the perspective of EU law, what are the remedies that are available when uh, there have been, uh, when people are the victims of, of environmental or labor problems? Uh, that's that's a very good uh, good question. Uh, I, I accept that I'm not a, a labor or environmental lawyer here. Um, uh, uh, I, I think what what we need to uh, underline is that we have pretty good environmental legislation, and we also have a large body of labor uh, legislation legislation protecting the rights of workers. And uh, the previous commission, uh, uh, headed by uh, Jean-Claude Juncker, also added considerably to that body of legislation. Um, so what is key is that this legislation is enforced. Um, and enforcement, uh, as we know, is, is done by the member states. So for me, when, when reading the report, this was also something I was missing in terms of the recommendations. The recommendations are, uh, for example, about the common agricultural policy. Fair enough. We are trying to change. But if we see breaches of environmental legislation, and my colleagues from DG Environment only recently brought out a report highlighting that Spain is among a number of member states where there are persistent problems with nitrates and groundwater, uh, and, and that this doesn't improve. Uh, the previous report showed more or less the same situation, the same picture. Then the question for me is, why are we not enforcing this legislation by the way the nitrates directive which has been around since 1991 you know so so i think we have also an enforcement uh, challenge here and the same for labor and uh, and and um if uh, if i hear that the number of inspectors uh for labor violations is going down uh, at the same time you you see uh, uh, the, the, the issues highlighted in this report. Uh, I'm, I'm, not the, I, I'm not the specialist in how uh, member states should precisely organize their, their inspections and, and allocate their resources. But, but, but clearly, uh, that is something I would like to highlight, that we need to enforce the legislations there. We can make the greatest laws in Brussels. If they're not enforced, things are not changing. Sylvia, Sylvia, you wanted to respond to this enforcement issue. Yeah, just a quick uh, uh, point, because it is true that in Europe we have a legislation, but unfortunately this legislation does not uh, eat the, the, the real uh, power. What I want to say is that uh, through subcontracting, the main company externalizes responsibility so even if we enforce legislation, the main company is never responsible because uh, liability is externalized. So what we need, uh, we need a legislation that uh, uh, allow workers to address the real power, meaning the main company. So this is the reason why it is extremely important to have legislation on uh, due diligence. 
so, Julia, at the outset, you mentioned that uh, Spanish Park is just being used as a case study here, and the implication of the report is by no means that this is a problem that's unique to Spanish uh, pork. Tell me, though, is it unique to meat? Is this just an issue uh, about the way that meat is produced in Europe, or is it broader than that? Um, yes, thank you, Dave. Um, maybe just to, to follow up on, on what Steve and Hughes were saying, I think, yes, both aspects are crucial. I mean, we need enforcement of existing legislation, and that's a problem um, in a lot of member states. I know the Commission has a lot of infringement proceedings open against Spain, specifically for the nitrates directive. So um, it's good that that action is being taken. Um, but there are also new initiatives, which, which we hope the, the Commission and, and finally member states and, and the Parliament will approve. Um, and I think it's interesting to note how the, the model that Sylvia mentioned of subcontracting and externalization in terms of, um, of labor um, across Europe is being tackled, for instance, through the new initiative presented by the Commission on platform workers, on gig economy workers. Um, but that model is being applied in the primary sector as well. Um, you know, when we're talking about subcontracting, we're talking about bogus self-employed. Um, then rather than people being hired by, by the parent company. That's something which has been widespread in the primary sector in agriculture and food production for decades. Um, and it's only, you know, lately that the gig economy platforms have sort of latched onto this. So I think we need to take a holistic view and not see sort of labor exploitation as being limited to one sector. Um, we have to have a broader, broader view of that. Um, so in terms of your question, yes, of course, the problem isn't specifically and uniquely uh, meat production. We know that um, industrial um, meat production, uh, sorry, industrial food production across Europe is has huge externalities in terms of both the environmental and, and, and labor costs. And we've seen that consistently, not just in our publications, but in reports which have been published you know, over the years by environmental NGOs, by the unions, as Sidbe mentioned, um, in terms of exploitation, for instance, in the, in the catering and food industry. Um, so I think, as, as Heath was also mentioning, and as, as I've already said, we really need to take a holistic view at this and not address it sectorally. I think that's the, one of the main problems is that, for instance, in Europe and in most member states, I think in all member states, we don't have a food policy per se. So we have an agriculture ministry, we have a DGO agriculture in, in the European Commission. Um, everything is siloed and making the links between those different elements, between the climate, environmental, agriculture, employment uh, pieces of the puzzle is often extremely difficult, both in terms of, of, of patching together the legislation, but also of enforcing it. So I think it would be it would be great if we could move towards a, a view which sees food and, and food environments as something that we need to address in a much more holistic way. Um, and so that's the hope, uh, you know, maybe for the next European Commission. That's something that a lot of civil society organizations are pushing for and, and, and we're fully supportive of that. Thanks, Julia. So uh, we've had lots of questions come in from the audience, so I want to go to those now. We've had a couple of questions about the report itself. So, Teen, uh, these, uh, here's a question for you. A uh, question is from Carlos Martin Ovilo. How representative is the sample of slaughterhouses and cutting centers where all these practices were reported? Can you quantify this, given there are 86,000 farms? So first, I think we need to, to sort of differentiate between the farms and the slaughterhouses. Yeah, the 86,000 are pig farms. The slaughterhouses, I think the last number um, we've discovered, it was about 700 of them. Um, we've 
focused on talking to slaughterhouse workers in Castilla Leon and the pig farms that we also visited were in Castilla Leon and partly because that is one of the region with the largest industrial pig production but slaughterhouses and farms um, of course you know you can say that oh we're only um, talking to a handful of of slaughterhouse workers and and you know pig farmers and people who work in there so it's not representative but what we have found and i think also the work the great work that antonio and his team at thadadasta has done and many other reports that have come up shows that what we have found is just the tip of the iceberg and is fully representative of the kind of exploitation that uh, migrant workers face in slaughterhouses and cutting plants i mean we spoke to many, many people. Not a lot, not all of them made it into the report. Unfortunately, it's just the nature of some of these work. Um, I'm very confident to say that what we found is, is is representative. Okay, so we have some questions for Hees also, which are more regulatory in nature. So next question for Hees is from S. Dioguardi, junior lawyer. Isn't the new EU regulation on organic farming and labeling of organic products a good opportunity to switch to more sustainable farming methods? The control system seems to be more stringent than its predecessor, and the whole organic production seems to be finally thoroughly regulated. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Dave, and thanks for the person asking this uh, asking this question. So th this is indeed one of the objectives we have as European Commission. Right? We want to seriously boost uh, organic production. Uh, uh, we have uh, 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 a target of 25% of EU agricultural area in 2030 to be organic. Currently, we're uh, uh, close to uh, I think we're eight and a half, nine, nine percent. So we have a long way to go. We believe that the change of the common agricultural policy can help us get there. But what is indeed is very, very important is that we have uh, recently reviewed the entire uh, legal setup uh, for organic production. So defining what is organic and, and also how this should be verified and controlled. And, and uh, we believe that um, this is a great opportunity for this transition to sustainable farming uh, because uh, organic farms score a lot better on a number of environmental indicators uh, but also because we uh, a lot of people know organic know the logo know what it does and therefore um, the advantage of organic is that we can uh, create consumer yeah pool for uh, creating a more sustainable agricultural sector uh, as was already highlighted, I think, by, by Julia Orthin, the importance is that we have also consumers to play their part in this sustainable transition. So indeed, organic, better for the environment, clearly uh, certified and uh, uh, regulated, and then recognizable for the consumer who can then buy and, and play his or her part in, in this transition to a sustainable agricultural sector. Thanks. Uh, Tina, I just wanted to go back to you. You said you wanted to correct one thing you had said before. Yes, um, I just wanted to say that, you know, we the pig farms that we went to were in Castilla y Leon. Uh, the slaughterhouse workers that we, we spoke to were in Catalonia. So I just wanted to correct that record. Okay, great. 
Um, so he's, uh, I have three questions for you on the regulatory front, uh, which I'll put to you all at the same time, and then you can kind of answer them together. So bear with me here while I read out three questions. So the first one is from Leva. Industrialized livestock production, not only pig farming, is deeply problematic. Shall we start facilitating a just transition away from industrialized livestock production toward a more sustainable and resilient food system? The first signs are already seen in Denmark and the Netherlands. So is that the objective of Farm to Fork is actually uh, to facilitate away from industrialized livestock, or is that not necessary to uh, help with some of these labor and environmental issues? Then, next question from Gufram. What do you think can be a viable tool to make farming more sustainable? Either we need regulations, if yes, how will they be implemented? Or we need education and training programs for the growers. If that's the case, who should arrange for it? The government, NGOs, academic institutions, or do we need both? And then finally, we have a question from Christina. The EU is the area where regulations include the highest environmental requirements. Those must be accompanied by support measures and financial aid for the implementation of new technologies, which allows a very significant reduction in GHG emissions. Uh, so the first question there on is the eradication of industrialized farming the goal here? Should it be the goal? And then uh, the second question related, what are the tools that can be used? And third question, if the EU is really going to, EU is already very active, as we've already heard on this panel, the EU is active in, uh, in the regulatory landscape here compared to other parts of the world. So do farmers need more help if farmers are going to be asked to produce more sustainably and more uh, in a more labor-friendly way than other areas of the world? Thanks. Thanks, Dave. I, I will try to keep it short, but if I'm too long, you interrupt me. Uh, these are very good questions. They all, in fact, link to the farm to fork uh, strategy. I, th I think we don't have the objective to eradicate uh, in, 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 in industrial livestock farming. Uh, I, I, I think what we need to get rid of is the uh, environmental problems, the, 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 the labor problems, the animal welfare problems. Uh, but uh, I don't think we should uh, claim that we can uh, or want to uh, eradicate this. Uh, also, because um, I think one of the issues that were mentioned earlier is, is we also have uh, uh, to um, we have to look at the the the, the price tag of of the food, and uh, I, I think a, a more industrial form of production can be can be part of that. But obviously, um, obviously not with the uh, uh, environmental labor animal welfare problems that we have uh, uh, seen uh, today overall what the european commission wants with this with its uh, farm to fork strategy is to have a, a a more extensive form of livestock production so that is where we are trying to put the uh, subsidies of the common agricultural policy uh, so we are trying to move the sector in a different direction. So if your question is, should we facilitate a change away from industrial livestock production? Yes, clearly. In fact, uh, maybe it's it's important I, I underline this. The common agricultural policy um, uh, uh, pays uh, uh, direct support by hectare linked to respect of good agricultural practices and uh, and a number of environmental conditions. Um, so it's not connected to a product. We don't support a product. And there is a small part of the budget that can be used to support certain products in difficulty. 
but pig meat is excluded from that. I think it's important to 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 also put that on the table. Um, th then the, the question was about education and training uh, for farmers, a and uh, uh, clearly uh, we think this is very important. Um, uh, the the ways in which we see farming develop in future are multiple. There is not one perfect model. Uh, organic is a great model, but it won't work everywhere and it won't work for everybody. So there are also other models that uh, uh, we should uh, uh, use. Some are using a lot more uh, uh, um, uh, different technologies, uh, use maybe uh, digital solutions, um, robotics, uh, you name it. There is a wide range of of, of technologies that's being developed. Uh, and we need to not only develop these uh, technologies, uh, the European Commission is putting a lot of money into research in this area, but also to, to, to channel these to the farms. We have our European Innovation Partnership, which basically supports groups of farmers to adopt new technologies, working together with people from universities or research institutions. Uh, we have a farm advisory system that we are reinforcing under the ongoing reform of the agricultural uh, policy. So I think in this area of education, uh, I would say yes, yes, yes. This is extremely important. And it's also one of the areas that we will be looking at when reviewing the strategic plans for spending the money under the agricultural policy that member states are now finalizing and that they will send to us uh, by the end of this year. Um, and and I think I have covered both, all three questions, but if I've not, I'm sure you're going to uh, uh, get me on, on this and ask me to, to come back. Thanks. No, I think that was very comprehensive. Thanks. Uh, Julia, you also wanted to come in on these three questions about EU regulation. Yes, sure. Thanks a lot, Dave. Just two quick points. So on organics, um, of course, that would be, you know, fantastic if we could transition towards more organic production. It is heavily regulated and certified. Um, but just to flag again that we need a holistic point of view that there's no guarantee you know, under the organic um, labeling scheme or certification of, of respect for labor rights. So for instance, last year, Mediapart um, published a series of articles detailing how there was widespread exploitation in uh, organic carrot production in France, for instance. We've seen the same happen with um, berry production in Northern Italy and so on and so forth. So it's great to have more organics, but we also need to make sure that, you know, then we don't have the same workers being treated in slave-like conditions, um, producing, you know, perfectly pesticide-free uh, food for our kids. Um, and on the second point, uh, one of the questions that, that, that were posed, um, I think technology, of course, is, is key and, you know, we're an increasingly technological world, but we also have to remember there are no quick techno fixes to any of these problems. So we're not going to, you know, get our way out of the climate crisis by simply um, giving um, pigs and cows um, food which produces less methane. I mean, the, the key problem is just the vast scale of this industrial meat production, the fact it has to be uh, made more sustainable globally. Um, I think, you know, we need a mix of both. I mean, I'm not against technology per se, but I think there is a certain tendency in certain quarters to see technology as the solution to our problems. Um, and it hasn't. Uh, we've seen that, as I mentioned, with platform workers, technology has not reduced labor exploitation. Um, and we're seeing that in the climate and environmental side of things as well. Um, and as he's also mentioned, I mean, we have the tools, you know, that we've had for centuries on farming sustainably, um, you know, and, and, and agroecology, for instance, is one of the responses that should be boosted and supported. 
to make our systems more sustainable. Um, so it's not just about technology, but also about as extensive pork production in Spain shows, um, going back to some of the ways in which farming has been done, which is compatible with uh, life on our planet. Keith, you wanted to come back to this issue about labor law, I understand. Yeah, just, just to make it more, maybe a more general point, um, because I think it's it's important to realize that I, I think Julia's points on on, on technology, uh, fair enough. Uh, there's no tech fix for this issue. We need we need multiple solutions. Uh, we need agroecology as well as technology. But I think what we do have to realize is that um, a lot of the more agroecological solutions that lose yet less technology require more labor, simply for, for example, weeding in a field. And um, this labor is unskilled labor. Uh, so the, um, uh, this this may not be uh, so. We, so in a way, we are creating a large uh, sector for unskilled labor. Do we have this labor in Europe? It's uh, presumably it's difficult when we see the uh, migrants, illegal migrants, uh, reported in, in 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 the study um, uh, work there. So the, the 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 question I would I would raise is it is a, 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 a solution for the problems that really focuses on agricultural models that require large numbers of unskilled workers. Is that a sustainable model? Um, is that also going to be economically sustainable? Because of course, we have to pay uh, uh, decent wages to the people who work there. Is that going to be feasible? So I think looking at that, I think one of the ways in which we need to go is also to farm ecologically sustainable using using machines or using technologies because because i i fear otherwise we will be we, we might be trapped in a situation of of uh large numbers of unskilled workers um who potentially are going to be always squeezed uh even though that would of course not something i like i i hope i'm making a point clear thanks Thanks. So we've had an interesting question come in here about consumer labeling. I'm not sure who the best panelist would be to answer this, but Antonio, why don't you answer this first and we'll see if anyone else wants to come in. So the question is from Thomas Roding uh, and he asks, how could Spanish consumers figure out which quality of supply chain they support through their individual shopping decisions. In other words, is there any consumer-centered transparency information available on the pork product? So specifically speaking about pork, is there a way for consumers to see how the pork they buy uh, went through the supply chain? Thank you, Dev. Uh, today, it's not much as a Germany uh, market uh, with, with the consumer as more um, uh, conscience for for the um, um, the products that consumed, but uh, do a start uh, to have to uh, a way of 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 the of the um, uh, uh, big sector and the agriculture and the how to affect to the ecosystem in Spain, like in Mar Menor, is 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 to start today. Uh, Teen, you wanted to come in on this as well. 
Yes, just very briefly, and just to echo, I think, what Julia said earlier, um, it is very, very important that, you know, consumers are aware, obviously, of how food is produced and what kind of external externalities that's being caused. But I think it's also really important to remember that we don't just put the onus on consumers to do everything, um, you know. I focus on food systems coverage and there's so many stories around, oh, consumers should do this, eat less meat, eat more vegetables, eat more nuts and fruits. And, you know, if the system is broken and it's done in a way that makes it really difficult for consumers to differentiate between a good product and a bad product, it, you know, it's, it, of course, consumers will, you know, we are already so busy in our lives with everything going on, you know, if if we also have to remember exactly all the details about everything, you know, it's just one more barrier uh, to make sure that our food systems are right. So I think, you know, just to reiterate that, yes, consumers can do as much as, you know, they can, but it is also really, really important that the people who actually are responsible for the externalities take responsibility. Thanks. So uh, the next question I'm going to put to Julia, it's more of a statement, but I'm going to have you respond to it, Julia, anyway. So the, this is from Daniel. According to the latest figures from the European Environment Agency, just under 6% of the EU's emissions come from uh, greenhouse gas from livestock, and total agriculture represents 9.58, while non-agriculture, therefore, represents 90.19. Uh, and of course, that includes transportation, heating, buildings, but it does not include land use. Um, given those statistics, do you think that uh, is it right to focus on agriculture as a contributor to climate change? Well, yes, I mean, I haven't seen those specific statistics, but I think all reporting, including from the Food and Agriculture Organization and, and the IPCC, have shown that agriculture and food production in general, so not just agriculture, but all the rest of food production, um, has, has a, you know, makes up a significant chunk of, of global emissions. So I think it is one of the key sectors we need to address. And unfortunately, it tends to be overlooked. I mean, we saw that at the recent COP, for instance, in Glasgow, agriculture featured in a very marginal way. And I think that needs to be addressed. It can't be the only sector that's left out of, of efforts to, um, to ensure we, we move towards a just transition. Um, if I may, I just wanted to make a couple of quick points on, on the other questions that were raised and, and also to, to Hisa's point about, about labour. I mean, the fact that um, irregular and undocumented migrants are exploited in Europe is not a consequence of the fact that we need those unskilled workers. It's a consequence of migration laws which are broken and need fixing. <laughs> if we had uh, regular routes for foreign workers to come in smoothly and with in a rights-respective way, we wouldn't have that problem. Um, and maybe I would also say slightly provocatively that, that I don't completely agree that the kind of labour that's needed in farms is unskilled. Um, and we saw that during the height of the pandemic in 2020 when there were no Europeans who are willing to do those jobs um, because things like pruning olive trees or picking asparagus actually requires a lot of skills and training <laughs> and the people who've generally done that have have not been native Europeans or they have been from parts of Europe Eastern Europe and not from other parts of Europe um, and one final point to Tins, uh, also the issue of, of, of labelling. Um, as, as I said, that's key, and we've actually published a whole report on this. And so it does make up a big, big part of, of the solution, but it can't be the fix, right? And again, it can't put the onus on the consumer to, to overhaul the system. Um, this requires regulation. It requires enforcement of regulation, as Heath was saying. 
so that consumers can know that every single product that they find on the shelves is sustainable. It shouldn't be about the consumer picking and choosing the sustainable option. It should all be sustainable, right, from every point of view. So that's, I think, should be our key objective um, in, in all this discussion. And that is a, a perennial debate in lots of areas about labeling, whether labeling is really the right solution. Dean, uh, you wanted to come in on this as well? Yeah, just on the emissions aspect, you know, I think sometimes when we talk about emissions, you know, we look at the agriculture, we just look at livestock, we don't take into consideration the holistic view of the food systems emissions. So we're not just talking about what happened at the farm or the farm gate. What kind of, you know, machines do we use um, uh, uh, when we're growing crops or when we're feeding the animals? You know, how are the fertilizers and the feed grown? Uh, what kind of energy is being used? And I think the latest data globally is that food systems emissions, so not just land use, not just farming, um, accounts for about a third of global total man-made emissions, a third, that's a lot. So even if EU is doing well, EU is still importing and exporting a lot of food. It is still importing the emissions. And I think um, one of the numbers uh, that Julia mentioned in, first in the introduction is the IATP report that came out recently that actually found that some of the, 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 the uh, let me just read this, the 20 biggest meat and dairy corporations in Europe are responsible for more greenhouse gas emissions than the Netherlands or Denmark. And that's the finding. So I think we really need to also be clear of where the emissions are being counted and how it is counted and whether are we looking at it from a holistic point of view. Uh, Sylvia, Sylvia, you wanted to come in on this as well? Yeah, just a, a quick point on, uh, on migrant worker uh, as well. So many, many of us before uh, used the word uh, competition and many of us said that it is uh, very difficult to make profit in this sector. So we should always uh, keep in mind that, that uh, the market uh, is something that is created by the law. Market is regulated, market exists as far as uh, it's regulated. So free market does not exist in nature. And, and so we can uh, create a different market. So uh, currently, the, the meat production is based on labor exploitation and especially on migrant exploitation. So th this is necessary in order to keep uh, the cost uh, very, very low. Uh, but if we try to regulate differently the market, uh, as we many of us said, uh, we can create a, a different market. So we should really be aware that uh, competition is not in the nature. Competition is created by the legislation. So uh, it is uh, very important to really to go on with the strategy from to fork strategy. Uh, because uh, this strategy really try to create a different market, uh, a market that is not based on uh, migrant exploitation. Thanks. So we have uh, one more question before I'm going to go to you guys for very quick takeaway thoughts. Um, but this question is to Heath. It's uh, similar to the question that came in before, but it has it asked a specific question. So I wanted to get your quick thought on this. This is from Luis Ferrarim. Uh, he says, we have too many animals in the EU with huge social and environmental impacts. Should we establish a binding reduction target for animals exploited intensively? How much and for when 
The RISE Foundation talks about a 50% reduction for 2030. Do you agree with this? So is that a feasible goal that you could actually set a, t a reduction target? No, 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 I disagree with that. Uh, we, have, we have set targets. Uh, we have set targets about increase in organic production, increase in landscape features for biodiversity, reduction of nutrient losses uh, to protect uh, water quality. Uh, we've set targets uh, on the use of antibiotics uh, in uh, uh, intensive livestock industry. We haven't even talked about that today, but also a huge problem that needs urgent uh, ur to be addressed urgently, for example, in, uh, in, in Spain. Um, so we have set targets, but these are targets on issues we want to solve. I, I think it would be artificial to say, oh, so many animals, because there is such a difference between how you farm. Uh, you can farm sustainably livestock is a natural part of our agricultural system it produces manure that we need to grow plants uh, livestock eats uh, biomass that cannot be consumed by others livestock uh, uh, keeps uh, landscapes uh, uh, open and, and 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 uses the biomass in areas where you can't grow crops so livestock is an integral part of our of our agricultural system so we have to make sure that the the system is sustainable or not uh, artificially uh, put uh, put a number on a, on a certain uh, uh, you know put put a number on on a reduction, and 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 I think we also also see this in a global picture, and that allows me maybe to react briefly to what Sylvia was mentioning before, uh, the the the, uh, the 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 greenhouse gas. Uh, um, uh, emissions, uh, or was it? Uh, I think it was Julia who mentioned the greenhouse gas emissions. I think what is key is that we have a global policy, global action on greenhouse gas emissions. If we uh, focus only on the EU, uh, we're not going to make it. So we really need to, uh, and we and we will not able be able to sustain the economic uh, livelihood of farmers in Europe because behind all this is also issues like food security. In the end, we do not want to rely on others to produce our food. So we have to create a sustainable system in-house, but this means we need to work with countries around the world to solve uh, climate challenges. Thank you. Well, we're just about out of time, but I want to go to each of you for a very quick 30-second key takeaway from today's discussion. Julia, let's start with you. What's your key takeaway from the conversation we've just had? Well, as you guessed from me banging on about it, it's the fact that we need to address this issue holistically, right? And I think Heath's point is really, really important. I mean, we can't have a sort of sustainable little bubble in the EU and then, you know, dump all our uh, climate, environmental and, and human rights costs on the rest of the planet. And that's why I think that, for instance, the new uh, directive on, on corporate um, social on responsible corporate social governance is really, really important so that we do clean up supply chains worldwide. Um, I also think that the EU can set an example, but could also have a huge impact. I mean, we do import a lot of food from the rest of the world. And if our partners are also willing to pitch in um, and we can have an impact on that, we, we, do, we can wield a lot of clout. Um, so I think the geopolitics of this are also interesting and it's something maybe for a completely other discussion. Um, but we found, I found it really, really disappointing to see, for instance, that the US is gearing up to set up an anti-farm to fork strategy effectively um, against the EU and trying to bring countries on board against the EU's efforts to clean up um, agri-food production and consumption. So I think, um, again, we have to look at this not just in terms of the, the internal supply chains, but really holistically, and that includes the trade and foreign policy branches of everything that the EU does, as well as, as the labor exploitation and, and climate and environmental sides within Europe. 
Yeah, those U.S. moves are going to be interesting to watch for sure. Uh, Tien, what are you, what's your key takeaway today? Um, just two points, I guess, on the report. You know, what we tried to do with the report was to look at how the industry presents itself, you know, the industrialized box sector, and check this with the reality on the ground. And we found that there is a massive gap. And I hoped, you know, that this would be one of the ways in which the conversation can be more open, more transparent, and move forward to see how to reform this. Um, and the second point also just to emphasize, you know, the, the point around representation, you know, the whole issue of exploitation of workers is not new. We've seen that in other countries outside of Spain, you know, and it's not even again, like Julia said, it's not even at the slaughterhouse workers or, or farm workers, but we, we spoke to as many people as we can we try to get, you know, gain their trust. Um, and show what is going on. This is not a new phenomenon. The system has a tendency to exploit workers. And I don't think we should see it as just a few bad apples and that this is not representative. It is representative. Hees, what is your key takeaway today? Uh, thanks, uh, Dave. I'd like to thank uh, uh, the authors of the report. And I think the, the, um, the focus on, on labor rights uh, comes across really uh, 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 importantly, and uh, therefore, I, for me, this is a is a confirmation that it's so important that the European legislators now made common agricultural policy payments conditional on respect of a number of late European labour laws. I think this this really reflects also the importance that the legislature is now attaching to this topic. So, thank you, Antonio. Key takeaway. Just to say that I hope this problem can continue to discuss it in other public forums because the problem will co will go will, will go uh, will, <laughs> the problem will continue to grow. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks very much. And finally, Sylvia, key takeaway. Yeah, I think uh, the the key point is that. Uh, this business model is not sustainable because it's based on labor exploitation and a polluted environment. So we should build another uh, type of market and we should, it, it, it's more or less as building a paddle. We should uh, add the, the, the pieces in the right position in the right moment. Uh, and so we are, we should go on with this process, uh, uh, cap uh, the new social conditionality in the cap policy has been already mentioned. I hope uh, the, 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 the Commission will come out uh, with uh, the proposal on due diligence soon. That will be another important piece uh, in this uh, puzzle. Great. Well, thank you so much to all of our panelists for some really interesting contributions. Thanks also to you at home for spending your morning with us, asking some great questions. Uh, again, the link to the report is there uh, in the Slido questions if you'd like to uh, find it for some further reading. Uh, so thanks again to the panelists. Thank you to you at home. I wish you all an excellent rest of your afternoon, and we'll see you next time for in the next debate here at Your Active. Thanks. Thank you.